we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We come this morning to the book of 2 Samuel. If you're just joining us, we've been in a study of the life of David. And we've been treading some, some rough waters recently uh, in his life because we've been dealing with the subject of his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, then, of course, the murder of Uriah, the, the conspiracy that David entered into to, to cover that. And then as we came to chapter number 12 last week, we saw that Nathan the prophet came to David and confronted him over his sin. And then once being confronted, David then makes confession. And as he makes confession, he receives the news that his sin has been covered. His sin has been put away. And we're grateful that we serve a God who puts our sin away. Well, today we come back to this 12th chapter and we find that although the Lord has covered the sin of David, that the consequences of that sin remain. And we'll begin reading here in verse 15. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake... um, We spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself? Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house. The child was dead. Thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head The weight thereof was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. And he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron. 
and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. Thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem. Well, as we come to chapter number 12 and we hear the voice of Nathan say to David, thou art the man. We can imagine that David at that moment thought the story ends here. In fact, any of us who would have been involved in that situation or those of us who are just reading this story from the outside would think to ourselves as we read these tragic events that unfolded, these deeds that David participated in, as as we look on with shock and with horror in our hearts, we would imagine that the story ends here. But the truth is the story continues. And the story continues because of the grace of God. The theme of this passage that we have just read is the restoration of David. That's the theme of it. You see, David, having received the news that the Lord had put God of David who delivered him from the hand of Goliath, it was the God of David who gave him victory in battle. It was the God of David who preserved him in the caves and in the wilderness during those years that he fled from Saul. It was the Lord who enabled David to recover all at Ziklag. It was the God of David that brought Israel together to anoint him king. It was the God of David who enabled him to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. It was the God of David who promised to build him an everlasting house, a family, and to provide a son who would rule in righteousness and judgment over the nation of Israel and over the world forever. It was the God of David who would cleanse him of his sin and restore him as a broken vessel. You see, up to that point, David knew the Lord, did he not? He knew the Lord, and he loved the Lord. He knew the Lord as a faithful shepherd who fed his sheep. He knew the Lord who had delivered his children from their enemies. He knew the God who set the stars in space and yet was mindful of man. He knew the God who was worthy of praise. He knew the God who was mighty in battle. He knew the God who cared for the poor and the lowly. David knew the God whose promises were sure. David knew the God who preserved him from his sin. And David knew the Lord. But after he sinned with Bathsheba and after he committed murder, David came to know the Lord in a way that he had not formerly known him. He came to know the God who restores In Psalm 51, David made this prayer in verse number 8. If you look there with me, Psalm 51, many of you know this psalm or have read this psalm often. This is the prayer of David in repentance of his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. In Psalm 51, in verse 8, he says this in his prayer, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. 
and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see, if we had stood there with Nathan that day, knowing what the king had done, here's what we might have said. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Cast me not away. You know, in this world in which we live, we have such an abundance of things, don't we? And we're ready to discard them at the first hint of a, tr- of a problem, you know? The car has a problem, let's, let's go trade it and get a new one. <laughs> something gets tarnished or a little dirty or something breaks and what is the temptation? It's just to throw it away and get something new. I'm glad God isn't like that. You see, David stood before him a broken, tarnished, dirty mess. But God did not cast him away. We used to, and maybe you've heard this song, I would imagine we've heard it here, but the song is this, over and over he molds me and makes me after his image, he fashions the clay. A vessel of honor I am today, all because Jesus didn't throw the clay away. Well, what inspired that song? Well, it has to be the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. It is a message that the Lord wanted Jeremiah to proclaim. So he says in Jeremiah 18 in verse 1, uh, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. That's where they make pottery. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. He was making he was making something out of clay on the, on the wheel of the potter. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. What was God saying? He's saying, you have become marred in my hands, but I'm not going to throw you away. I'm going to do what the potter did. And the Bible says that he made it again. Aren't you glad for that word of God, that promise? So he made it again. I'm glad to know that my sin does not frustrate the patience of God. And my sin does not prevent the purposes of God. Aren't you glad to know that? So David's standing before God this dirty, defiled mess of a man that he had now become as a result of his sin, yet God did not throw him away. He restored him. I don't watch a lot of these programs, but I've seen enough of them, and I've, maybe you've seen them before, where people take things that are broken and dirty and old and discarded, and they, they collect them, and then they... They, they begin to restore them. 
I've seen people do some amazing things. I've watched these videos, you know, where they, they take it and they begin to clean it. And then they get some kind of an acid and they, they, they pour it on there and they get rid of the rust and they use some oil and the sandpaper and, and all these techniques. And, you know, I get about three minutes into that video and I get a little bored. So I fast forward to the end because I want to see what the end result of that is going to be. And then you see it. You see this thing that looked unusable become something beautiful. I want you to know that God can do that with your life and your sin. He can take something broken and unwanted, something discarded, something dirty, and he can make it beautiful. He's the God who restores And David is coming to know him. Now, those of you who have experienced the restoration of God, you understand God in a different way. In fact, you look at life differently. You look at people who are broken differently. And those of you who have not yet had to experience that may tend to be a little bit judgmental and harsh. But there may be a a day coming when you need to know the God who restores. Now let's get to know the God who restores and let's see how he does it. And we're going to find it here in this 12th chapter. First of all, I want you to note if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to do that. Number one, the God who restores is the God who chastens. He chastens. We go back to verse number 15. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Well, we know here that the Lord had covered David's sin, but we we find out that the consequences of his sin remain. Well, what sin had he committed? Well, just in review, he committed adultery. He abused his power and his position. He deceived Uriah in an attempt to cover up his sin. He conspired to murder Uriah, and then he murdered Uriah. Five of the Ten Commandments were broken. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. So here stands David. He's guilty. He's guilty. He's condemned. And he deserves to die. The ultimate consequence of our sin is death. And by the way, it was David who said of the man, the rich man who took uh, the poor man's lamb to feed the traveler, it was David who said, he shall surely die. So David pronounced sin on himself. In fact, David would witness against himself, I am worthy of death. And we know that death is the ultimate consequence of sin, and it is a universal condition because all of us have sinned. We're all sinners. Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, our, what we deserve. What, what our sin produces is death, and sin is deadly. But in David's life, this sin ultimately led, at least in this example, to the death of an innocent child. Well, why did the child die? 
Why did God smite this child? Well, we know what the Lord says in verse 14 of this 12th chapter. He said, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. This is the judgment that God made against David for his sin. The child will die. It's clear to us then that the son died as the consequence of David's sin. Now, David will plead, as we discover, with the Lord in prayer and fasting for the life of his son. And we know that the Lord put away David's sin. But God will use the consequences of David's sin to chasten him, to chasten him. Now, the word chasten, uh, it means to us and for us uh, as a father would bring up his children. That would not just include then what we would ultimately think of as the the rod, the rod of correction, which is going to be applied to David, no doubt about that, in a stern way. But the word chasten means to bring up, to instruct, to teach. It includes reproving, rebuking, correcting. It, It includes severely reprimanding, It includes punishing. And there was a punishment for David's sinful actions. Now, the book of Hebrews speaks to us about this. If you look there in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 5, Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 5, the writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew believers scattered abroad, and he says in verse 5 at the close of the fifth verse, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So he's dealing with the people who are, are receiving judgment and chastening at the hand of God. Look in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So here's what we find. We find that the father loves his children, and he chastens them in their disobedience. He deals with them in their sinfulness and their rebellion. And he uses instruments of punishment, the rod of correction, He uses these things to help us understand the impact of our sin. To correct us and to redirect us so that we do not continue in this behavior which is displeasing to God. And in this case, especially in this behavior that costs the life of other people. Remember now, Uriah is dead. The soldiers who were directly with Uriah are dead. Their families are grieving. There are children who are orphans. There are women who are widows. There is a nation in distress. The enemies of God are blaspheming. And the Lord must deal with this. Look at verse 10 of Hebrews 12. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure... But he for our profit. In other words, they're doing it, or he is doing it rather, for our good. 
You see, had God just turned a blind eye to David's sin, that would not have helped David. He would have never met the God who restores. He for our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness, he wants to conform us, his purpose is to conform us to his image. Verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God works in us through chastening to produce righteousness in us. This is the purpose of chastening. And God is chastening David. And by the way, he chastens all of his children. The God who restores is the God who chastens. Now, we may grapple with the issues that stem from the death of this child. And as we do, we must remember that God's ways are so far above ours. Paul argued against those who questioned God's judgment in Romans 9 and verse 20 when he said, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? In other words, who are we to question God? He's the creator. We are the creation. Abraham posed the question in Genesis 18.25, and he already knew the answer. But he said this as he was pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah because he was concerned for Lot and his family. He said, shall not the judge of, the, of all the earth do right? Well, yes, he will. And that's what we learned from that question. That's the confidence that Abraham had in the Lord, that God would do what is right. By the way, that's the confidence that David had. When he prayed in Psalm 51 and verse 4, and he said, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. When God gives the sentence, he is justified. And be clear when thou judgest. God knows what's best. And therefore, David said, I have to leave the consequences in his hand. And these are the consequences that God chose. Now, in Isaiah 55 and verse 8, the Lord declares to Israel, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, you and I can't even enter into the arena with God. We do not possess the wisdom and the knowledge to understand the ways of God. In this age when everybody thinks they deserve an explanation for everything God's doing and they demand it, those of us who know God recognize we can't, we can't understand, we can't begin to understand the ways of God, but we can trust him that he makes no mistakes, that he does that which is right. You say an innocent child died because of the sin of this man. Yes, but that happens every day, does it not? A, a family whose lives are torn apart by a drunk driver. A man who walks into a shopping center or a shopping mall with a gun because he's got some issue with somebody there. Somebody who walks into a school with a gun. 
We've seen the newspaper headlines, right? It happens every day. The sins of fathers affect their children in multiple ways. The innocent suffer. That's the world we live in. That is the result of sin. You see, man has rebelled against the just one. And now they demand justice. But they won't recognize the just one. And we must be reminded that God gave his son as a ransom for our sins. He died not because of his sin. He had no sin. He died for our sin. So we see he's the God who restores. And to that God, David prayed. Look at verse 16. David therefore besought God for the child and fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. So seven long days are covered in these two verses. Seven days when the child is sick. Seven days of waiting to hear good news. Seven days of asking the doctor, is anything changing? Seven days of saying to the nurses, can you give me an update? Seven days of fasting, seven days of praying, seven days of weeping, seven days of disappointment, seven days of discouragement, seven days of tears, seven days to reflect upon what he had done. Seven days to agonize over the sin that he had committed. Seven days and 7,000 ways to say to God, I'm sorry, I wish I'd never done it. Would you spare the child? But the child died. Verse 18 And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, he's, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How, then, how will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. David prayed. You say those seven days were futile. No, 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 no. Those seven days were the most fertile days of his life. But then David did something that surprised his servants. David praised. He praised. Look at verse 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He got up from the dirty ground, wiped the tears away, went home, took a bath, put on fresh, clean clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord. I've seen people dealing with difficulty and they run from the house of God. They deal with disappointment. They deal with bereavement. They, and they don't, they, 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 they run away from the house of God. 
I want you to know that it is into the house of God that all of us need to come in the midst of our difficulties. To be with God's people and in God's presence, this is where David came. He came to the house of God, and what is it that he did? He worshiped. He sang. He prayed. He praised. Well, his servants couldn't believe it. Look at verse 21. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Now notice this statement. I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. You know why he praised God? He praised God because he was forgiven. He praised God because he had received the grace and mercy of God and he had the truth in knowing that that child was in the presence of God. And David knew that the man whose sins were put away would one day enter into heaven and be with God and be with his child. What a glorious truth to get hold of. That baby went straight to heaven. And those of you, and many of you have, experienced difficulties there, can rejoice in knowing the words of David, I shall go to him. You think, man, what a dreadful thing. Think of all the dreams that David and Bathsheba had for their child. Well, I want you to know that child grew up in a better home in heaven than he ever could have growing up in the house of David. So you trust God. You commit it to him. We see he's the God who restores. And he restores because he's the God who chastens. Number two, the God who restores is the God who consoles. He comforts. He comforts us. What a, what a tender thing that God in, in our sin, forgives us and cleanses us and restores us, and then he comes alongside to comfort us. He doesn't say, go sit in a corner. I'll talk to you later. No, he doesn't do that. We do that, but he doesn't do that. Look at verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. What a thing here. David, who has been comforted himself in knowing that he would go to the place where the child has gone, heaven, who was comforted by the promise that God had made to him, who was comforted by the assurance that his sin had been put away, now David, having received that comfort, extends that comfort to his wife. Now Bathsheba earlier had, had and think about what all she's been through. Her husband's dead. Now her baby's dead. She needed comfort. She needed hope. And David, who had been comforted, was able with the comfort that he had been comforted with to comfort her. And that's what the New Testament tells us we're to do. 
We're to comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And David comforted her. Now, notice what the Bible says here about Bathsheba. And David comforted Bathsheba, notice the next two words, his wife. Now, if you've been reading the narrative from chapter 11 onward, here's what the Bible has said about Bathsheba all along. She is the wife of Uriah. She is Uriah's wife. But now she's identified as David's wife. You see, there's a God who consoles, a God who restores. And David has comforted his wife. Oh, aren't you thankful for the grace of God that covers our iniquities, the grace of God that restores sinners? And so David went in to his wife, and she bore a son. They conceived a child. God gave them another child, a boy, and his name was Solomon. And notice what the Bible says, and the Lord loved him. God set his affection on this child. God put his approval on this boy's life. Look at verse 25. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet. Oh, no, David, here comes Nathan. Can you imagine the dread? He's back. But what does he have to say? Well, look at it with me. He sent by the hand of, the, of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah. He said, I know you've named him Solomon, but God has a message. He wants to call him Jedidiah. Well, what does that mean? It, mean, it means that he is beloved of the Lord. He's the God who consoles. By the way, the God who consoles had a beloved son too. And he sent that beloved son to die on the cross for you and I. Well, the God who restores is the God who chastens. And the God who restores is the God who consoles, comforts us. And the God who chastens is the God who conquers. Look at verse 26. And Joab fought against Rabbah, the children of Ammon, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. I think with all the faults that Joab has, we see his loyalty to David shining through here. He said, I, I, I've been fighting the battle. In fact, the battle that began in chapter 10... The battle against the Ammonites, that battle has still been raging as the events of chapter 11 and chapter 12 have unfolded. So Joab and the men have been engaged in battle. David's been dealing with his sin. God has been dealing with David, and the battle has continued. And Joab is about to win the battle, but in, before he takes the city, he sends the message to David, come and take it. I don't want it to be called after my name. I want it to be called after yours. Verse 29, and David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head. The weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones. And it was set on David's head. And he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance. Verse 31 tells us that David took the people, the captives, and put them 
in a state of servitude. David conquered the city. He didn't conquer it because he was a brave soldier. In fact, he's not the same man he was. He's aging. He's broken. He's going through a restoration process. He deals with shame and guilt. He probably doesn't have the same confidence in his own decision-making as he once had. Things are declining, and he's wondering if he has it in him anymore to lead the army. He stayed away from the battle as long as he could, but now Joab has summoned him. It's time to come and get back in the battle. So David goes back, and David wins the victory. But he doesn't win it because of his own strength or his own worthiness. He wins it the same way he always won it. Not in his strength, but in God's strength. Can God take a broken down soldier and make a general out of him again? Can God bring victory to those who have experienced defeat? Well, the answer is yes. And he did so in the life of David. And he can do so in your life because here is the time for the chastened man and the consoled man. It is time for him to get back into the battle. You know, you can sit around and lick your wounds and let the years pass by or you can get back in the battle. And David got back in the battle. Aware of his weakness but depending fully on God's strength, and he won the victory. And friend, that's what you and I do every day. I hope we're doing this. Fully aware of our weaknesses, fully depending on God's strength. Romans eight thirty three. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. David didn't just barely defeat the enemy. He conquered them completely. I want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross for us, he bore our sins in his body. When he died on the cross, he finalized the payment for our sins. When he come up, when he came up rather out of the grave, let me tell you that Jesus didn't just barely get by and defeat the devil. He totally crushed the head of the serpent. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. It has no pull on us anymore. We are not bound to it. We are more than conquerors. We are totally victorious in Jesus. You see, David enjoyed a victory he had never won before because he'd met the God who restores. And the God who restores is the God who chastens. And the God who restores is the God who consoles. And the God who restores is the God who conquers. The Philistines, they said, hey, bring Samson out. Bring Samson out. We're going to make sport of him. We're going to make fun of him. Put him on the wheel and make him grind. And the Bible said that they didn't know this. They didn't recognize it. They didn't realize it. But the hair of Samson's head began to grow again. And Samson cried out to God. 
And he said, Lord, remember me. Remember me. And do you know what God did? He remembered him. And Samson went out in victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Don't let the devil tell you you're defeated. Meet the God who restores. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.